0: easy it is and how quickly uh, prone to wander. Uh, so God, I pray that uh, today, uh, in a powerful way, you would bind our hearts uh, to your heart. God, I give thanks that you know every single uh, man, woman that is in this place right now. God, you know our stories completely. Uh, so God, you, you know uh, whatever hurts we might have, disappointments we're, we're living with, anxieties we're walking around with. Uh, God, you know the questions that we even have on our minds today. So Uh, God, in a way that only you can do, uh, would you, through testimony and through your word, uh, just speak to our hearts. Uh, God, I pray for every single person that's here right now, uh, God, that uh, we would have a really unique testimony when we'd leave this place uh, of how we encountered you. Uh, So, God, thank you for a time like this. Thank you for uh, a time where we can come and gather and worship you through song. God, where we can uh, just open up your story, your scriptures, uh, to be challenged and blessed and encouraged and inspired. Uh, so, God, this is your time, and I uh, just ask that you would have your way with us, and we pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, hey, welcome to Genesis. Go ahead and grab a seat. My name is uh, Michael. I serve here as a pastor, and i uh, really excited and thankful that uh, you are here today. Uh, I wanted to uh, introduce you to, I'm excited to introduce you to these guys. Uh, so, to a really loud welcome, uh, this is John Bandai. That was kind of loud for you. Now the real welcome for Mike Costa and Ifong if you would. So just grab that over there. We'll have to just make some room, gentlemen. Um, now, if you are uh, new to Genesis over uh, the past, uh, just today, or even in the past few weeks, uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about, that we are excited about, is that uh, we just have a prayer that God is going to continue to raise up Uh, Godly men and godly women uh, who have a heart to serve Jesus and his church. Uh, Last week I was really excited to introduce you to uh, a very godly man named Zach Wernicke who has expressed a call uh, to serve this church in the capacity of elder and has spent the last three plus years having that call and his character examined. And so uh, this week, very excited to uh, allow you guys to hear a little bit of the testimony and the story Uh, of Ifong and Mike Costa uh, as they have expressed a call uh, to serve Jesus and and Genesis in the capacity of being deacons. And so uh, this is John Bandai, and uh, he is our head deacon, our lead uh, deacon here at Genesis. And uh, over the past uh, year plus, uh, John has been faithfully uh, working with these guys, praying with them, and uh, walking through just a discernment process just to see uh, God, have you in fact called these guys up? Are you raising these men up to serve in this very specific uh, role as deacons? Uh, and uh, myself and John and the other elders are really excited that we affirm these men in their call, and more than just their call to serve as deacons, and by the way, uh, deacons just means servant, uh, or a deacon is someone uh, to serve, uh, and so these men have expressed a call of uh, God has called us to be servants in this unique role. Uh, so it is our excitement to say we affirm their call, but also to let you know their character uh, is consistent with the call. Uh, so, if you were to look at the scripture in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, as well as 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, there are requirements of someone, a man or a woman who would serve as a deacon, they have to have character that's consistent with that call. And so, John, myself, the other elders, we're excited to say, we love these guys, we're thankful for them, excited about what God's been doing in their life, and um, excited for you now to hear a little bit of their story. Uh so uh Ifong good to see you again. I saw you at 9 a.m. too. So um Ifong, if you would uh when did the gospel really grab you? Uh and what have you really uh seen just Jesus specifically doing in your life uh you know over the past year in particular, but uh you know, Ifong is, is God has got his hand on this man. And so Ifung, it's been exciting to see what God's been doing in your life, but I just wanted you to give voice to uh, this is when God grabbed me, so to speak, and these are the things that I've seen God been doing in my life recently.
1: Sure. Um, the gospel really, really gripped me when I was about 11 or 12, and that's when I was saved and um, got baptized, and, and I've been uh, loving Jesus ever since. Um, most recently, in the past year, I got married, uh, I've been married now for eight, nine months. And so I guess... uh, And you are loving marriage, right? I love marriage. Yeah. I really do. And um, I guess that ties into what the gospel has been doing in my life, uh, specifically that I'm seeing it uh, convict me of my sins. I'm seeing um, how much the Lord has really been uh, doing uh, for me. And part of how that practically plays out in my life is that in marriage, uh, I know that as a husband, I often uh, fail frequently. And I know that uh, I have to ask uh, forgiveness for my wife uh, often, as well as give forgiveness. And so that's a fresh lesson. It's a new lesson I've been learning. Um, it's a very humbling experience. Um, but also, just it, it reminds me of how uh, God loves us so much that he's willing to forgive our sins. And uh, my wife, Jennifer, just models how Jesus forgives very well. So I'm incredibly blessed, incredibly loved that... Um, by the fact that, you know, God has blessed me with a wife that really knows how to forgive the way that Jesus does. And so I'm thankful for that, and, and it's a new lesson I'm learning. The other um, way that my life has been shaped by the gospel recently is just through community. Uh, it's, I went through a redemption group recently, and it's really humbling to see how God uses people to, to bless, encourage, and challenge one another. And that's one area in my life where... Um, just there's so many parts of my life that really needs to be redeemed, that there's a lot of brokenness. And through Redemption Group, I was able to see um, God using people in their gifts and talents to heal, to pray over one another, to be broken, to cry over another. It's just an incredible picture of what the gospel really works, how it works in our community, and how it brings about redemption uh, in, in my life. Um, and so that's what's what the gospel has been doing recently.
0: Mike, how about you? Just when did God uh, grab you, so to speak, and just what have you been seeing God do, uh, and just how how has God been at work in your life?
2: Sure, um, I, I want to share my perspective of this process um, as a deacon candidate uh, and how I share what God's been doing for me. Um, I want to give a description of what a deacon is because it's not as clearly defined and understood as the elder role. And when it was uh, one of the first descriptions I had heard of a deacon in comparison with an elder, they, it was that the elder preaches and prays and the deacon cleans the toilets. And it's not...
0: Just so you know, that was not my description <laughs> that I gave. That, that, it was not Michael Davis's
2: description, for, for full disclosure. <laughs> the, now, that's not false, uh, what that statement is. Um, but looking at Scripture in Acts 6, when we first see deacons and how they're used in the church, the elders of the church look at the, the disciples are growing, and they're serving the tables. They're, they're giving the, the church's resources and helping people. There starts to be complaints amongst one another, saying that one group is getting preferential treatment against the other, and now it's starting to consume the elders' time's, time. They say, this isn't healthy for us. We need to appoint... Um, some individuals to come come alongside us to help us so that we can continue preaching and praying uh, and have qualified servants help us. So when I look at the role of deacon, I do see it very specifically in that role. They're waiting on tables, and I think of the role of a waiter, and it's a great way to see the role of a deacon because to be an effective waiter, um, there are qualifications. You do need to know what it is you're serving. Uh, very technically what's on the menu how is it cooked and then at the same time to have the heart of a servant to want the people that you're serving to experience the fullness that that you want to bring to them to um to also be a student of people and to be able to understand things and if i think of a great experience that i would have with the waiter i might not know what i wanted i'd say here's what i'm looking for and they're going to say you know i know exactly what you need and um I'm excited to 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 continue serving Genesis um, as your waiter.
0: Um, but what that narrows down. What would be a good tip in that type of situation? <laughs> Just kidding. Just your love. Hmm.
2: I um, and, and so from that I get two very specific pieces. It is one that the deacon is a qualified servant to come alongside the elder to promote the preaching and prayer, uh, with a specific focus of. Um, Helping and serving the body of Christ um, through through any means that we can. the um, the weight of that responsibility in reading through the scripture and, and seeing the qualifications that are put upon a deacon has been has pressed me over the last twelve months, and it's caused me to see things in myself that I didn't like that were uncomfortable. Um, and and how much of Mike Costa was in the way, and how much how much more there was to continually give over to Jesus. And there were three specific three specific words that were pressed into me over the last twelve months. Uh, and the first was transparency. I I know that in my relationship with God, there's a tendency for me to want to maybe hide my sin and. That's very strategic of the enemy because I'm not then handing it back over and living in freedom and the redemption that that we've already been given. Um, but also just with my community, with my friends, with my wife, to be transparent and to expose, you know, here, here's areas of shame, here's uh, idol. here's an insecurity. I, I don't want to hide it anymore. I would rather, I, I just want to be transparent to show you um, that I know that there's a sin there that I know that there's these tendencies there and to say but Jesus has wiped that away completely and and now through Christ's strength now we can do anything now now we're enabled and we're empowered to produce but um that that was pressed upon me uh quite a bit over these past 12 months is to be transparent with uh just in all things and ensure that in that transparency, I'm pointing directly to the cross and directly to Jesus. The the second piece that was pressed into me was how important unity is amongst a community uh, because I saw in myself as I became more educated in the finer points of doctrine and theology with this process, uh, it gets into gray areas. It's not, not everything is as clearly defined as I want it to be. And I found uh, an argumentative nature coming out of me, uh, I just wanted to be right about certain things. Um, and at that point, I felt God actually grab me by the, the skin on the back of my neck, pull me out for a little bit, um, point that out, say, you have an argumentative root in you. We need to extract that, and, uh, and you need to come correct uh, with how you're going to serve this church. So that was a big piece for me, and I, and I noticed how easy it is to, to have friction to have a, a, a crack in the unity and how much we have to keep fighting for that because the, the body of Christ is just not divided. Um, so that was two, uh, unity. <coughs> the, third, the third big piece was urgency and it, it came to me in an unsuspecting way. Jen and I were watching the TV show Katie. It's Katie Couric's. New television show. She was
0: apparently no one else watches that show. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Katie." I always, I Who's was, Katie? I enjoy
2: the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was two weeks after the the Sandy Hook elementary school um, killings, and she was interviewing <laughs> parents of of one of the children, and I was. I, don't, I didn't fully understand the situation as I watched it. I was struck that parents were able to... I didn't understand which parents would have said yes to an interview, how they had words, how they could articulate anything to come out of them. Um, but, and it was two weeks after the incident, and in my mind I'm thinking that is a wound that is wide open and bleeding, uh, But you're, but you're there. Uh, the mother put together words. She said, I give uh, glory to God. Uh, My child is with her Savior. And I'm broken that there was that kind of sadness and darkness that that man was experiencing in this world. And that, that whole interview and that whole situation has just... Uh, been digging into me because it's um, for a moment I wanted to compare myself and and try to put myself in their situation and I couldn't and that wasn't the right thing to do what I needed to see was that is how great our God is that darkness couldn't overcome it Uh, that's how bright that light is Uh, that's how firm it is and steadfast so the word that came from that to me was urgency because that's the message that we've been entrusted with. That's the message that uh, Genesis echoes. Um, That's the God that we serve. And uh, it's one of many reasons I love this community.
0: Um. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, again, you're just getting a, a snapshot, so to speak. Uh, these guys have gone through a long process and have had their lives examined. Uh, but one of the things that's just really refreshing, inspiring, and encouraging to me uh, is these guys generally love God. They generally, uh, genuinely are walking with God. And uh, that's just refreshing for me to see that you guys don't cop an attitude of, we're there, we've arrived. Uh, it's, you have an attitude or a posture of, Man, we've got a long way to go, but we're really excited already about what God's done with us on this journey. And uh, I just, I'm proud of you guys. It's been exciting to see uh, your character uh, be consistent with with, with uh, what Scripture calls uh, for that and of a deacon.
1: Yeah, and uh, I would just add to that, you know, I've been very encouraged to see you guys over the last year, just uh, your humility and. Just the amount of time and energy you've invested into the process, um, you know, the, the ways you've allowed other men to speak into your lives and, and to be examined. Um, and, uh, you know, we obviously um, all, all affirm you in, in moving forward in this role. But I, I'd be interested to hear you guys share some about just about how you know uh, that this is what you're called to do, that this is the specific calling that God's placed on your heart, um, and just to kind of hear that in your own words. Sure. Um, I guess uh, the biggest thing is that for me is just this uh, passion and a burning desire to really uh, serve the church. Um, That uh, just as Jesus loves the church, uh, I also love the church, specifically the local expression of that church uh, through Genesis. And um, I just want to serve the church um, so that the gospel is accomplished, uh, no matter how it's accomplished. But um, that is my prayer. And so that is that is the burden that I carry. Uh, and I'm very, very passionate. About serving. I love serving Genesis, and um, one of the specific ways uh, that the calling plays out is uh, in Acts uh, six one to seven. There, there, there came a time where um, it became uh, the community became the the community grew really fast and really needed specific roles, specific things to be accomplished. And I think um, in verse 7, I think was what really gripped me because after the deacons were called and installed, um, the word increased and disciples were multiplied. And that is my prayer for uh, Genesis and is my desire, uh, that my hope that when I serve, um, that uh, the gospel be moving forward and we would be growing uh, because of Jesus, not because of what I'm doing or because what uh, any of us as uh, human beings are doing, but because the Holy Spirit has Genesis uh, in his hands and it's just gripped. And we're just ready to go. We're on fire. And just um, also thankful for just the um, support of my wife, Jennifer, um, for just the affirmation there as well as um, affirmations from the elder and deacons.
2: To describe the, um, the call and how it's been uh, affirmed for me over the past 12 months is uh, it's kind of a two-sided coin, and part of it is what Yifong described as just this burden and this drive to want to serve. Uh, and sometimes I've felt called to serve in areas that I didn't quite understand or didn't particularly have any skill set in. But the more I, I serve genesis the more that i i get to be with his people and i see god working and then there's this underlying energy that i'll get from it because there's a lot of sundays where you might be mentally physically or emotionally exhausted depending on the capacity that you are serving in but uh there's this joy that gets produced by watching god the more you're around god's people the more you get to see god's hands at work and there's so much encouragement that comes from that um the the other side of that is that as you go through a process like this where you're working towards a calling and discerning it is that the enemy will have things to say to you along that path um, and it'll be laced with uh, ideas of shame or unworthiness or embarrassment and he's going to be very quick to accuse you of pieces that may in fact be true but again that are, are, are not who you are in God's sight uh, and you'd like to re-identify that with you and there are certainly times throughout this process that um, it felt like I was in a nosedive it felt like my back was against the wall and I, I thought this is a really great honorable uh, role and I, I'd love to see more deacons at Genesis and I think this is a great idea for maybe somebody else to, to fulfill this role uh, but but probably not me. And um, Jesus was always very quick to enter the room at that at those moments and say, "Yes, Mike, that's true. But you're not doing this through your strength. You're doing this through my strength." And that happened a number of times. And it got to the point where I was exhausted of me, and I was tired of me, and I was trying. I wanted nothing more to do. I wanted nothing of me anymore. And I wanted to just call on Christ for everything, for it to be my strength, my direction. Um, and if anything, and if I do anything in my life, I just wanted to echo that.
0: How about this, guys? Um, next week, you know, the elders and uh, John are bringing you guys before the community for an affirmation. Uh, as you know, it's a, it's a fourfold affirmation that uh, you affirm yourselves, that this is as best as you understand God calling you to do this, uh, that your wife who knows you uh, better than anyone, also affirms that your character is consistent with that call, that the elders and deacons would affirm your call unanimously, which all has so far happened. Uh, but the final step in the process is that our community would also bring in a vote of affirmation uh, in support of your call and, and character. So, uh, so next Sunday is a really big Sunday. I would ask that you guys would be praying uh, as to how the Lord would want you to affirm uh, these men. Um, so... Today, this week, and the weeks to come, uh, we also want to serve you guys and bless you guys. And uh, one primary way we can do that is by praying for you. Um, so uh, real quick, just, uh, Mike, what would be one or two ways that uh, we could be praying for you? And then, ifong how could we also be praying for you? Uh, t- two ways that you
2: could pray for me um, would... If I were the enemy and I wanted to... to... To tear apart a church, I would I would target two things. I would tear apart the unity uh, of the body, and I would attack the marriages. So, my 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 prayer request would be that you would pray for myself, my wife Jen, um, the unity that we have together, um, and the unity that we have uh, as a body.
1: Uh, my re- prayer request would be um, to just be really disciplined in my walk. Uh, the time that I spent with the Lord through Scripture, through prayer, and just uh, talking to God, listening listen to God, and also just uh, in fellowship with the community as well. So, um, And also for my marriage, uh, that we would uh, see Jesus as a priority uh, in one another, but also for me specifically to be able to continue to serve, uh, to know, but also to continue to serve sacrificially uh, with my life, and to serve uh, Genesis well, and to love the people that uh, God has put in our lives uh, well. Okay, well, let me pray. And, and can I just add yeah. one more thing? Spirit um, has really placed on my heart that if the Lord has given you a burden um, to serve in this specific capacity, I would say that start processing the call uh, with us. Um, this is, I hope, just the beginning and of uh, hopefully in the future a larger team, not just for the sake of growing numbers, but we... We, we clearly and truly need uh, more servants. And so if you have a burning desire, if you have a burden placed by the Lord, it's, and it's from the Lord, uh, come process with us, uh,
0: John Benna and Michael and elders. Father God, thank you for these men. Thank you for uh, just the great work that uh, you have already begun. And uh, God, the great things that you've already done uh, in and through them. So God, I give thanks that... Uh, Mike Costa and Efong have uh, first and foremost Jesus that they've received you by faith, Uh, God that uh, they have uh, made the commitment, the decision uh, to die to themselves so that they might live fully, wholeheartedly uh, for you, God. I pray that uh, their desire for you, Jesus, would only increase, God. Their desire just to be men of the word, men of great character, would only increase, Uh, God. I thank you that you have uh, just given both Mike and uh, Efong incredible gifts uh, in some godly women and godly wives. And uh, God, I just give thanks uh, for uh, Jen Costa and for uh, Jennifer You, God, I give thanks that um, you have really blessed these men uh, with some phenomenal women who also love you. So God, I pray that you would uh, protect their homes, protect their marriages. As Mike asked, that there would be incredible unity uh, between he and Jen. And I pray that same thing for Yifong uh, and Jennifer. God, I pray that their homes and their marriages uh, would just be flourishing Uh, And, God, they would be really setting an incredible example, um, God, of of the relationship that you've established with us, uh, that uh, Mike and Ephong would be sacrificial servants, uh, loving and uh, serving their wives well. God, I pray also for unity within our church. Uh, God, uh, you have blessed us with this uh, numerous times when we've asked you for 100% affirmation. And, uh, God, once again, I would ask that you would really be generous to speak to this entire body, this entire community, um, that uh, next week... God, our hearts would be so fixed on and aligned with what your heart is, uh, specifically for Zach and uh, for Mike uh, and for Ephong. So God, thank you for raising them up. God, thank you for placing a burden uh, within their hearts to serve you and to serve this church. Uh, God, humbled by that and, and inspired and excited uh, by the great things I've already seen you do with these men. Uh, God, I'm excited about the great things that you have in store for them in the coming, coming days, coming weeks, coming months and years. So God, we commit these men to you and pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, thank you very much. Last week, um, I was very excited, still excited this week, but uh, I was really excited last week to share with you uh, just what God has been uh, pressing on our hearts as it relates for Genesis in 2013. And uh, really could sum up What uh, we are praying and what we're working towards in 2013 is a bit of a theme, so to speak, Uh, and it's simply this, that uh, we as a church, we as individuals, two words, would be generous, Uh, that we would be generous, Uh, specifically be generous uh, to all people at all times with all things. Uh, In many ways, I'm hoping for you and our commitment as a church is as we make decisions, and we make a ton of decisions on a day-to-day basis, but decisions we make as a church, decisions that we make as individuals, we would ask ourselves this question, and the question would simply be, what would be the most generous thing that I could possibly do right now with this person in this moment, in this situation, and because God has been generous to us, that however that question would be answered, uh, we would live that answer out every single day. And that we would have story after story and testimony after testimony of how we're just seeing God use us as we seek to be generous to all people uh, at all times with all things. In many ways, I'm I'm really desirous to see you and I have an incredible testimony uh, that what Jesus said is true. And this is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is recalling something Jesus said. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed uh, to give than to receive. I think that there's a lot of people who would say, well, yeah, that sounds good. I agree with that. But I'm not sure we have stories that we could tell of, and this is how that works out. And my hope is that as a church individually, we would have testimony after testimony every day of, he wasn't kidding. He was right. It is more blessed to be generous. (laughs) Than to consume or to take or to grab or just to just hold on uh, to what we have, so our heart this year for you for us as a church is be generous uh, with all with all people uh, at all times with all things. Uh, the two challenges specifically that were given as it relates to be generous was trust God with your generosity don 't worry about details don't worry about like how it 's going to play out and how it 's going to work out and if that's going to have this profound impact on this person, the invitation from God to us was just be generous and trust me with the details. So if you're seeking to be generous to someone and you just don't see immediate evidence, immediate fruit, don't let that hinder your decision to be generous to that person the very next day. So let's just trust God with the details and see what he will do with a community of men and women who are committed to be generous. The second challenge, so to speak, was um, don't check out. Don't give up on this. Uh, I've already talked to a few different people, like, "Wow, this whole thing of be generous is a lot harder than I thought. Uh, well, sacrifice is hard. Um, there's a cost to be generous. There's inconveniences connected with seeking to be generous. So let's not let the cost and the sacrifices and the inconvenience hinder us from being generous. I love how Paul said it in Galatians when he said, "So let's not get tired of doing what's good." At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, and I love this, whenever you have the opportunity, and if you really think about that, we have opportunities every day with so many different people in so many different situations, and Scripture says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good. We should be generous to everyone especially to those in the family of faith. So that's where we're headed. Uh, And interspersed throughout this entire year, we'll be coming back and revisiting this theme of how can we be generous? Today, I am excited to share with you a question that we've really been wrestling with ever since Genesis got going. Uh, And Genesis has its origins all the way back to a Bible study that was in my house with about five people. Bless you. And the question that we have been wrestling with for years and years and years and have seen some growth and have seen, seen, have seen some progress, the question is simply this, how do we cultivate a community of servants, not just people who are willing to serve, but a community of men and women who see themselves as servants? It's a pretty tough question. I'd say it's even harder of how do we answer that question? So this is something that we are working towards, we're committed of, we want to just have a community of men and women who understand and see themselves as servants, not just people who serve, anyone can serve, but a community of men and women who see themselves as servants. Now, I think most of us would agree, we kind of have to, the numbers point to this, that we live in a very consumeristic culture. Uh, the numbers aren't in for 2012 yet, but for 2011, there was a little over $500 billion spent on global marketing. So $500 billion was spent communicating the message to our culture, our world, to people you need this. You need to grab this. You need to have this. You need to consume this. And we buy into it. We live in a very consumeristic world. Unfortunately, consumerism has spilled over into the church. And so there are communities of just men and women consuming, taking, grabbing, and that's not, it's not what our heart is for a church. Our heart is for a community that we're men and women who are servants. We're not looking to consume. We're not looking to grab. We're not looking to take. We are looking to be men and women who would give generously as God has given generously to us. Now, if you're familiar at all with the story of Scripture, You would be hard-pressed to find any evidence where God would say, yes, the consumeristic lifestyle, that is the lifestyle I desire my people to live. It's actually quite the opposite. It's a call to be servants. Servants uh, who sacrifice. Servants who serve. Uh, I like how Peter said it in uh, 1 Peter. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. It's another way of just saying God has been really generous to give to us. So let us be a people, let's create a a culture, an environment, a community, not of grabbers, not of takers, not of consumers, but let's be a, a community that's cultivating a culture of men and women who desire to be generous servants. Now, what would be your motivation to be a generous servant? Because let's be honest, the alternative is much more appealing. It's easier. It's easier to consume. It's easier to take. It's easier to grab. So what would be the motivation for us to be generous servants? Now, I want to be clear. I'm not asking, well, how can we just get more people to serve? Because in all reality, uh, anyone can serve, but not everyone is a servant. There is a tremendous difference between servants and just people who serve. If, and the question obviously is, well, what's the difference between those who serve and servants? And the answer would just simply be, it's really a question about perspective, of how do you view yourself? If you view yourself as a servant, then no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, no matter what you're doing, because your perspective on yourself is that of a servant, well, guess what? you will serve. Because that's what servants do. Is It doesn't matter the time of day. It doesn't matter if it's going to be inconvenience. It doesn't even matter if you like the person sitting or standing in front of you. If you have the perspective that you are first and foremost a servant, then you will find yourself serving all the time. But people who don't view themselves as servants, well, they will serve... But they will be what I'll just call situational servers. A situational server is not sinful. I'm not suggesting that if you're a situational server, you're somehow in sin. But what I am saying is, a situational server is just someone that will serve. But they will serve when it's the right time, when it fits their schedule, when it's convenient, uh, when they've had a you know more than eight hours of sleep, when their their stomach is full. Like when all things have lined up and they're, yeah, I can do this right now. I, I, I'm good to go. Again, it's not sinful, but what I think Jesus models for us and teaches us is that there's a better way. And it's the way of being a servant, not situationally serving, but being a servant who serves wherever you are or whoever you happen to be with. This was Jesus' perspective. He viewed himself, saw himself as a servant. Now, this is what Paul said in Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Isn't that amazing? Being in very nature God, well, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on himself the very nature of of who? of a servant. So then it's not going to be strange to see Jesus, who sees himself as a servant, serving. And that's exactly what he did. His entire life was was serving, not situationally, but he saw himself as a servant. So Mark 10.45, when he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our motivation to be generous servants is because Jesus was a generous servant and because Jesus generously served us, he, he gave everything so that those who had nothing could have everything. So my motivation to be a generous servant is I've been at the receiving end of a generous servant named Jesus. So our motivation to be generous servants is born from an understanding that Jesus was generous, a generous servant to us. Now, I want to, Jesus not only is our motivation, but Jesus also is our model. Meaning, if we want to look at what does it really look like to be a generous servant, like it's catchy title, but what does it mean? Like, how could you go from here saying, I get it now, of I, I get what it means. I don't want to situationally serve people. I want to be a generous servant. What would it practically look like? Now, let me ask you this question. And I don't mean this to be a morbid question, so to just don't go there. But if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die, if you knew that like tomorrow was your last day, guaranteed tomorrow you're going to meet Jesus face to face, what would you do tonight? Like, how would you spend your last evening? Again, I'm not trying to be morbid, but I'm asking an honest question of if tomorrow is it, what does tonight look like? Now, I'm guessing uh, most of us would probably be like, well, it's a good chance I'd I'd probably get together with all of my friends and with all of my family. So that would be a good thing. uh, Have a little party. Get anyone that you love, anyone that hopefully loves you, into a room and just have one last meal together, so to speak. So... Here's my follow-up question. You're having your last meal, as it were, friends and family around. Would you serve? Like, would you clean your house, clean your bathrooms, organize everything so that the guest coming into your home, apartment, wherever you might live, would you take the posture of like, I, I really want this to be nice for people, so I will take it upon myself to serve? Would you take it upon yourself at this meal to actually be the one that's distributing the food, the appetizers, the salad, the desserts? Uh, How about this? Would you, at your last meal, would you be the one that would actually clear the table and then clean the dishes? Would you do that? If you knew that tomorrow was your last day, at your last meal, would you take the posture of a servant? I think most of us, if we're honest, would be like, I could care less what my house looks like, and this is it for me. This is their time to serve me and put the best things in my hands. Now, again, I, I get that this might sound like an extreme example, so to speak, but it's a very real one because this is the example that Jesus found himself in. Jesus knew that he was going to be murdered on Friday, and so on Thursday evening, he had his last supper. And he gathered around himself, his followers, specifically the 12 men that had been walking with him and living with him for three plus years. And what I I want to read uh, this story out of John chapter 13. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just want you to hear this story. And I want you to, at some level, be like, wow, he knew he was going to die, and this is what he did hours before he went to uh, his death. This is in John chapter 13. Um, I'll start at verse one. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world. That means I know I'm going to die. That his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. And he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. And so he got up from the table. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had around him. Skip to the end of the story here. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Well, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. If we would cultivate a a community, have a culture here within this church of men and women who are generous servants, then I want to share with you very briefly a few things that we learn from Jesus' example. Jesus is our motivation to be generous servants, but also Jesus is our example. So what did Jesus do here at this Last Supper that would actually have, should have a profound impact on our understanding and execution of being generous servants? I'm going to give you five, and I'm going to give these to you really quick. I encourage you to write these down. Number one would simply be this. Generous servants love people, not projects. Generous Servants love people, not projects. Did you catch the beginning of the story, verse 1? He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. They were not a project to him. They were people who had great value, significance, and worth. And he loved them in life, But he loved them to the very end. And if you're familiar with the end, these guys are bickering, they're fighting, they're arguing. They're wanting to know and jockey for position of who's going to be the greatest amongst them. He loved them to the very end. He didn't bail on them and say, gosh, you guys do not get it. I am just going to finish the mission that I came for. Generous servants love people, not projects. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to serve on projects, so to speak, but what I am saying is as we observe Jesus, he loved people. He valued people. He cared more about people than just trying to accomplish the checklist or just accomplish the task of the day. This is a man who was interrupted time and time and time again, and he loved people. He didn't view them or treat them as projects. Now, Let's be honest, it would be it's easier. It's easier um, to focus on projects. Projects are easier. People are messy. People are mean. People are critical. They can be judgmental. They can be rude. They can be biting. They can be hurtful. So forget people, just get the job done. Isn't that at the end of the day what matters more than anything? Just get your job done. Jesus says no. Jesus, generous servant, demonstrates for us you love people because they're not projects, as it were. It's certainly refreshing to complete a project. It's certainly fun for those of you guys who are like checklist people, like you actually do jobs and then create the checklist so you can check off the checklist, even though you didn't have the checklist before you started. So I get that there's some joy in finishing a project. Nothing wrong with that. But you know what the greater joy is? is having a testimony at the end of said project of you loved people well, and you saw God at work in people's lives. Too many people have stories and testimonies. I got a job done. Well, what about the people that were involved? Well, I don't know them. I didn't really invest in them. A generous servant loves people, not projects. Number two would be this. Generous servants love all people, not just certain people. <laughs> Generous servants love all people, not just certain people. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to put Judas's feet in his hands and wash his feet knowing that as soon as the meal was over, those same feet were going to run to betray Jesus. Like he, he didn't get to like Judas and was like, sorry dude, I know what you're going to do. Therefore, I know what I'm not going to do for you. Generous servants love all people, not just certain people. Jesus models for us, I mean, Jesus is the one who said, love your enemies. He says in Matthew 4, Matthew 5, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Jesus demonstrates for us what it looks like to love our enemies. And the primary way that we can love those who don't love us, those who are against us, those who are hurtful to us, those who are critical of us, the way that you can love that person, your Judas, as it were, would be to literally put their feet in your hands and wash their feet. Meaning that you'd really take their life and say, I'm going to serve you. I know how you feel about me. I know that you don't like me, love me, care about me, but it's not going to change my posture, my position towards you. And the reason that we're able to do that is because Jesus did that for me and he did that for you. I have not forgotten and I hope you have not forgotten that you and I once were enemies of God. Meaning our backs were turned away from God and when we were enemies of God because of sin, rebellion, pride, Jesus said I'm still I'm going to I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to serve you despite you being an enemy right now. Colossians says it like this. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Isn't that amazing? When we were just enemies of God, Jesus said that will not change how I will sacrificially serve you. Generous servants love all people, not just certain people. How about this for a question of, if you don't, who will? If you don't love that person by serving that person, who do you think will? We live in a tit-for-tat culture. If you don't stop that, if you don't love that person by serving that person, that person will never be able to see what God's like. They will not be able to see what Jesus is like. When you serve those who have been hurtful to you, you're allowing them to see, catch a glimpse of, this is what Jesus is like. So if you don't do it because you just, you cop out and say, it's just too hard. There's too much hurt. Just remind yourself, you know what? Jesus did this for me. And by the grace of God and the Spirit of God at work in me, I will love this person. I will love this Judas in hopes that this Judas will meet Jesus. Because this Judas did meet Jesus. Because Jesus was a servant who served. Number three, generous servants serve downward, not upward. Generous servants serve downward, not upward. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Do you know what that means? I'll put it in military terms. He is the highest ranking official at this party. He is the most important person at this party. No one could be like, well, Jesus. No, all authority had been given to him. And rather than having the attitude of Jesus, you know, he could have copped the attitude of like, Clearly, gentlemen, I am the highest-ranking person in this room. This is your time. This is your turn to serve me. Jesus models for us that he served downward, not upward. Now, let me ask uh, this question. Clearly, it's easy to serve upward. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that we never serve upward, that it's wrong to serve upward. But what I am suggesting is it's very easy to serve upward meaning it's easy to serve those who are in positions of authority over you or those who have a certain role in your life. It's easy to serve upward because our thought process often is, well, somehow, some way this might come back to benefit me because when that person in authority over me, when they remember how I helped them, how I brought them coffee, how I did whatever I did, maybe when it comes times for promotions and raises, they'll remember my service. That's easy. Anyone can serve upward. But what Jesus says is serve downward. We serve those who no one else ultimately is ser- uh, would be willing uh, to serve. I like how Jerry Bridges um, said it. He said this, It was not in spite of his greatness, but because of his greatness, that Jesus served his disciples on that evening. He taught us that true greatness in the kingdom of God consists not in position or authority, but in serving one another. I, I think you would agree. We live in a culture that's obsessed with greatness. We want to be great. We want people to think of us as in, in greatness-esque terms. We want people to respect us. We want people... Jesus says, if you want greatness, if you want respect, if you want admiration, if you want influence, be a servant. But our culture says, no, get the title, get the accolades. Jesus says, no. Greatness is not found In titles and positions and authority, greatness in the kingdom is found in being a servant. Specifically, servants who are willing to serve downward, not just upward. I like how Jesus said it in Matthew 20, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Serve, Generous servants serve downward, not upward. Again, not wrong to serve those in positions of authority over us. But it doesn't stop there. We serve those who will never be able to serve back, maybe. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Number four, generous servants. I like this one. See ordinary tasks as extraordinary opportunities. Your generous servant, you will see an ordinary task as an extraordinary opportunity. This is... What Jesus, what Jesus did, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. I imagine the disciples walked in the room, and they're like, well, there's no servants here, so I guess we're going to eat our food with dirty feet. Like, it was customary that before you would break bread together, the lowliest person in the room would take upon themselves a towel and a basin to wash feet. And by the way, that's not like a pleasant thing. It's not as bad now because we wear shoes and socks. But back in the day, it was like barefoot or sandals. So pretty nasty feet. So this wasn't like the most desirable thing. So I'm guessing they're just looking around like, well, no one else is going to do it. So I guess we'll just eat with our feet just Pretty, pretty dirty. But Jesus looks around the room and says, well, I guess none of the 12 are willing to be a servant like this. And he stands up. And I can only imagine the disciples are like, what's he doing? Why is he taking off his robe? What's he doing with that basin? And then he kneels before them. How, If you've ever had your feet washed, it is one of the most humbling things to have someone else take your nasty feet in their hands and wash them. Generous servants see ordinary tasks as extraordinary opportunities. I think what happens often is that we wait for extraordinary opportunities, then we serve. We wait for that moment, like, oh, that that role just opened up. They need someone up on stage to, to play guitar or to sing, or, you know, that we we watch and we wait for that moment. Where it's that job, that role, that position that everyone else is like, wow, that's, I would love to be in that role or position. And so we wait for the extraordinary to open up before we start serving. And Jesus says, no. Observe the ordinary and watch how I will take those ordinary moments that you serve and turn them into extraordinary moments. I like how Jerry Bridges again said it. This is what servanthood within the fellowship of believers is all about. Being alert to the little things that need to be done and then doing them. We would cultivate a community of servants. Then all of us need to see that there is no task that would ever be beneath you. Meaning there is nothing that you could ever look at and say, well, that's not for me. I got too much talent. I got too much skill. I got too much intellect. I could never do that. There is no task that would ever be beneath a generous servant, including Jesus, authority overall, putting on the towel, picking up the basin to wash feet. I think when I consider this community, the people, the men and women that model this best, in my humble opinion, is our facilities team. Is the men and women who serve on our facilities team get here as early as 5 30 a.m. to mop the floors to clean the bathrooms to put signs out to straighten the chairs to do the work that many people would just honestly not be willing to do and they don't do it because they've got some like special degree in toilet cleaning or special degree in straightening chairs or mopping floors or picking or taking up trash taking out trash they do it they love Jesus and they love you and their servants. Now the thing that's sad is this is the smallest team in our church. And in my mind, it should be one of the biggest teams that we have in our church. So I'm hoping that today our facilities teams will like quadruple of men and women who would be willing to say, I'll, I'll take out trash, I'll clean toilets, I'll straighten chairs. Gosh, if Jesus could serve me like that, what the heck? Of course, I could clean a bathroom. That's not beneath me. I'm not too gifted. I'm not too talented. Generous servants see ordinary tasks as absolutely extraordinary opportunities. Number five, and we'll finish with this one: would be this. Generous servants bless others because God continually blesses servants who serve. Generous servants bless others because God continually blesses servants who serve. John 13 says it like, or 13 verse 17, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So now that you know this, now that you know that God's invitation to you is not to be a situational server, but to be a generous servant, because that's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus has done for us. Now that you know that this is what God's desire is for you for this community that would be a community of generous (laughs) servants well guess what you'd be blessed if you did what you know you would be blessed if you do these things that Jesus has done for you if you would uh I would like you guys to raise your hand if You have ever been impacted, influenced, blessed, encouraged by maybe someone like a Sunday school teacher, a youth pastor, a youth worker, maybe someone in your college years like a mentor. If you've ever, someone else has ever had an impact on you, uh, would you raise your hand? Specifically like, all right, so that's that's a lot. For those of you who just raised your hands, you know where you should be serving right now? you should be serving within Genesis Kids and within Genesis Student Ministry because you, more than anyone else, knows the profound impact one person who is willing to be a servant can have on your life. You get, more than anyone else, the impact and the influence that one person who is willing to be a servant to you when you were four or five or eight or 12 or 18, you, more than anybody else, gets it. Because someone was willing to bless you by serving you, by encouraging you, by showing you the way of Christ, by answering your questions, by sitting with you when you were scared and praying for you. You know more than anyone else of what God can do with just one person who would be willing to be a servant to others. Now that you know these things God will bless you for doing them. Pretty encouraged to see how many hands got raised. Now what encourages me not with just seeing a bunch of hands raised is what might those same hands if they were still up what would God do with an entire community of said God. I I want to be a generous servant. If you would use me to be a blessing in someone else's life, then I would like to do that. When it says God blesses people, do you know how God blesses people? He uses people to bless people. Generally speaking in scripture, God uses people to bless other people. God uses people to provide for people, to encourage people, to teach people, to grow people. God uses other people to bless other people. Wouldn't it be incredible if we had a community, all of us, who just said, forget situational servanthood, forget situational serving, I mean, sign me up to be a generous servant so that I would be a man or a woman who would be a generous servant so that any person I'm around, any opportunity I have, I will serve because I see myself as a servant. i